welcome back to episode 44 of Establish the Collection. I am your host, Cody Main, joined as always by Gary Hartman. Gary is supposed to be coming back from Miami, uh, a trip to the Miami Grand Prix for his first ever F1 race, the first American F1 race. That did not come to fruition, so we do not have a boots on the ground winning formula from Gary Hartman this week. Gary, what happened, man? What, what, what was going on? Yeah, unfortunately not. My my trip to my first Grand Prix will have to wait uh, a little bit longer. I will get to one uh, at some point soon, that I'm sure of. But unfortunately, we were going for my brother-in-law's bachelor party, which I, I planned the whole thing. It was it was really exciting. He's a bigger F1 fan than, than I am. Uh, and then, you know, bad luck came his way two days before we were supposed to leave or three days before we were supposed to leave. He comes down with COVID. Um, really no way around it. We were going to have a house of like 12, 13 guys. Like, unfortunately the yeah. only move was to, to cancel. So was able to get my money back for everything. Um, you know, it was obviously a bummer that we couldn't get down there really just kind of the worst possible outcome for that. Feel terrible for him. We're going to, we're going to make it up to him in some way, but, uh, I did have a little bit of a week. So, <laughs> um, one of my best friends in the world is Scottish, uh, lives in London now, um, met him at a sleepaway camp gro growing up and, you know, one of my great, great friends and his, his bachelor party or stag as they would call it in Europe, uh, <laughs> is the, was the same weekend. And the only reason I couldn't go was because of my brother-in-laws. Um, so last minute booked a trip to Portugal, to Lisbon and, um, spent spent four days out there for his so wow. i didn't i didn't get to miami but i did get to europe for an awesome bachelor party for a friend of mine so feel terrible for my brother-in-law uh, outcome for me was was still okay despite missing out on the the grand prix i'd say that's a pretty good run out uh yeah. to, to lose the grand prix for covid but to still end up in portugal i would yeah. say is, a, is is not the worst outcome yeah it was great lisbon's uh, an amazing city too and we uh we had a lot of fun europeans are crazier than us americans so we we had a good we had a good time <laughs> We should not completely ignore F1 because it was still a, a pretty wild weekend, I would say. I mean, it took over as it as it has every weekend that there is a race. It's taken over social media even more so this week with it being stateside. So many uh, high profile names in kind of sports and sports media uh, and just all throughout uh, pop culture were there for the race, were there tweeting about the race. And, and it was kind of a big deal this week. And that kind of parlayed, I think, into some pretty big sales. Uh, that we saw over the last couple of days and weeks in F1, starting with this massive, just an absolutely massive sale for Lewis Hamilton, the Superfractor that sold for just shy of a million nine hundred grand uh, at Golden. Anything to say about just the week that was uh, for the Miami Grand Prix and kind of how it took over social media once again, and then some of these sales that came on the heels of that. Yeah, I mean, this made national news, this Lewis Hamilton card as well. I mean, no, but it was just the only thing I have to say on the Miami Grand Prix is, is it was everything we thought it would be. The race itself yeah. wasn't even that great. Um, it was Leclerc had had a pole that Max took lead, never really gave it back. And that was honestly the, the, the story of the race. But uh, the event and the Americanization of uh, F1 just continues here where, I mean, every major celebrity was out. I, I, I was, I was retweeting pictures of Michael Jordan with Pierre Gasly. I mean, just ridiculous things and, and, <laughs> and link ups and anyone that was anyone seemed to be in Miami last weekend. Uh, so, you know, it's great to see, obviously we have the, the Vegas race coming next year. I expect this just to continue to grow. They just announced uh, at least two more seasons, I believe of drive to survive with Netflix. Netflix was boots on the ground, obviously in Miami as well. I mean, I think as long as that series continues to uh, churn out, I think as long as people continue to find it, uh, you know, this, it's going to, the popularity is going to continue to grow in America. So, you know, not surprising to see the Lewis Hamilton, Superfractor out of Topps Chrome last year. We've obviously spoken a lot about this product. This is out of the regular Chrome, not the Sapphire. So it's the the uh, you know the gold the gold wave old vinyl Superfractor, one of one in a PSA seven. Also, like we've spoken about a lot of these 
uh, cards do not grade out well. I mean, my orange Max Verstappen is a PSA 7. I'm getting offers over five figures on that card. So, you know, you're seeing this kind of you know, yeah. wave throughout the rest of the the sapphire. I mean, the top scrum market, which is great. But yeah, one of one at a seven, a PSA seven went for nine hundred thousand dollars. I mean, we're right under a million. That is arguably one of the best two. Uh, or three Lewis Hamilton cards in existence. Uh, there should be one of that same card in an autograph form, as well as uh, one pink sapphire one of one, which I saw actually pulled on uh, blowout streams. Uh, you know, uh, what five or six months ago. Uh, shout out to to him who, who's done a ton of F one over there. So you know, one of the three best Lewis Hamilton cards in existence. Not surprised to see it there. I'm assuming one of these three cards, whether it's the two one of ones or the one of one with an autograph, will go over a million dollars one day. It's just that's where we're at with with F one. So obviously, good good to see that. I, I couldn't believe that 900 grand for that card was just, it, I mean, it was eye popping. And as you mentioned, it made, made national news. That was uh, really encouraging to see. Once you start to see these, these products hit that seven figure mark, I think it kind of reaches a new stratosphere and, and starts to funnel down for the rest of the hobby, the rest of the market. Uh, and in, in this case for F1 specifically, any other sales of note recently in the F1 hobby? Yeah. Well, actually two days ago, Tops F1 Dynasty came out for its second year, which is the super, super high end, um, like $5,000 a box for one card, five cards, uh, five boxes in a case, 18,000 ish dollar cases. Um, you know, and it's super high risk, super high reward, but it's those one of one, often one out of five out of 10 patch autographs on card autographs with patches from their, uh, whatever it may be that they're wearing during a race and a Charles Leclerc. One went for, for from 2020 Tops Dynasty, a one of one patch autograph, went for eighty thousand uh, dollars this past week. Um, not graded or anything like that, just the the one of one patch auto uh, for for Leclerc. So you know his, his market continues to be really up while he's leading the the drivers championship this year. But you know just in general, seeing those the super high end uh, their version of you know patch autos. Uh, be back out there. I think the 2021 isn't as exciting as 2020, obviously, for, for many reasons, uh, you know, in, including the fact that the rookie class isn't as strong. But, uh, you know, any kind of patch auto of a Lewis Hamilton or a Max Verstappen is going to fetch real money. So, you know, that's that's in the, the, the also the amount that they create of this stuff is super, super limited. I mean, most breakers can't even get their hands on cases yeah. of Dynasty. So, you know, it's going to just it's going to always demand a super high premium. So you saw that with the Leclerc sale. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, cards like that continue to go up. I mean, the Lewis Hamilton patch autos are cards that you see from 2020 are cards that you see on fractional sites. So, um, you know, it's it just just exciting stuff all around. Just to piggyback off of that, I, I was looking at Rally the other day, and we've talked a lot about, you know, fractional for some of the super high-end stuff that we might not be able to get our hands on physical products for. Um, there was a 2020 Tops Max Verstappen signed triple patch that was actually graded nine five with the 10 auto that's good yeah and and that that was uh ipo'd at 32 grand yeah. and filled really quickly so that i would imagine low. that that's that really that's, low. that's probably a, a good good investment and i know the trading window on that will probably open in the next 90 days or so but um you know just thinking about as this racing calendar continues and Verstappen continues to to put on dominant performances after dominant performances it, it, it could be a good buying opportunity when that one opens up. Yeah, it 100% is. I mean, you know, the, this Leclerc card just set the market, I think, for things like that. And this wasn't yeah. even graded. Um, and it's one of the top two sought after drivers. I think Leclerc would be pretty firmly number three right now, even over Lando and George. So, um, but, you know, Max in a 9.510 for any kind of patch auto out of Dynasty uh, should be over 30 grand for sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, 
Uh, I got in one break, one dynasty break. I yeah. uh, I threw all my nuts on the table. Um, you know, luckily I didn't go hitless. It was out of ten spots, so you know, five people essentially or more would would go without a card for you know over a thousand dollars per spot. So uh, I did not hit a Kimi Raikkonen out of ten patch auto, which should about make my, my spot back. Uh, so you know, I was happy with that. But yeah, I mean, if you could even find the breaks, it's going to be at an exuberant price. Um, yeah. And honestly, you're going to have a hard time finding the breaks to begin with. That's how rare this this stuff is. Yeah. It's been fun to watch this market grow. We're going to obviously continue to keep an eye on it, hopefully keep the, the weekly or biweekly segments of Winning Formula uh, back on track now. But we teased it last week, man, and this this is usually uh, this, I mean, year two of recording this podcast. This was probably, I would say, our favorite episode uh, getting into the off-season NFL transaction news, the draft news, and really not focusing so much on the, the players that were drafted, but how the players that were drafted and the players that changed teams throughout free agency, throughout trade markets, how those players impact what happens to the players that are already on the field. Yep. Um, namely the quarterbacks that we're interested in investing in some wide receivers, running backs, maybe, but we've let the dust settle now from all of the off season craziness and probably one of the crazier off seasons of all time. Uh, now the draft is two weeks behind us. We're about three months out from NFL preseason action. So no better time to kind of look at, uh, some off-season buys, maybe some off-season sells as we approach uh, football in August and September. But there's been a lot to unpack here. There's been a lot that happened over the last couple of months. I'll kick it to you first. With all of this action, is there anything, any one name maybe that stands out to you most from everything that happened uh, during the spring? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, the the overlap between fantasy uh you know, speculation and card speculation. And I think the top place, and in a, in a, if, you're, if you're a subscriber of ETR or just follower of, of the people over here, uh, one of the most you know, exciting people that uh, one of the most, one of the quarterbacks we're most excited about heading into this year, people are taking long MVP shots, just in general, a top five uh, fantasy quarterback is Jalen Hurts of the Eagles. And I mean, there's no way around looking at what they did uh, throughout this offseason and now throughout the, the draft weekend uh, and not looking at him as a big winner, uh, most notably, you know, going out and getting AJ Brown on draft day, uh, totally out of left field. I don't think anyone saw that yeah. trade coming. They traded for him on draft night, then immediately signed him to a hundred million dollar extension. Um, you know, they drafted Cam Jurgens, a center in the, in the second round. So anything that the Eagles uh, are doing is to try to see if what they have in, in Jalen Hurts and. At the very least, even if we are kind of iffy on if he's going to be a you know long-term great real-life quarterback, I think the fact that he's going in with such a high probability of success as a fantasy quarterback would would allow for some real peaks um, in the card market this season. Kind of saw like what we saw with Kyler Murray the first eight weeks or so of last year. So I think that's kind of a name to be looking at right now that has immediate upside the second he hits the field. I couldn't agree more. And like a lot of the names that I think we're going to be talking about today, I think you and I have a lot of overlaps on our lists. Uh, but a lot of the names that we'll be, we'll be talking about today are really uh, guys that could potentially have long-term upside if they go out and prove what we think they could potentially right. prove based off of their team's off-season additions, but also just have immediate upside, right? Like if Jalen Hurts comes out and has a really strong six-week performance, his silver PSA 10, you know, $380 card right now, right. In that 2020 class, when you look at some of the names that are priced above him with, you know, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and the numbers that those cards fetch. Now, Jalen Hurts isn't going to reach that stratosphere anytime soon. Um, you know, even even long term, he's probably a clear cut below them, depending on performance. But that you could see spikes in that market shortly after the season kicks off. If the addition of A.J. Brown, if another season with Devonta Smith, if another season in Nick Sirianni's offense is enough to. Um, buoy some some big strong performances from him and 
they're in a wide open NFC East, man. I, there's yeah. there's no reason why Jalen Hurts and this Eagles team can't, uh, you know, run away with this division. So that is uh, a good place to start. I think the AJ Brown stuff is is awesome to see their kind of friendship, you know, and all the narratives behind that. Uh, I think that can only be good for him on the field. And obviously any uh, success that he has on the field is going to be good for his card market. Looking at that $380 silver PSA 10, which I think is a you know pretty reasonable price range. Is that something that that would interest you as a buy to potentially flip some at some point early in the season if he comes out hot? Yeah, particularly because of the pop, um, you know, and, and I think we've spoken about him in the past. I've never been a real believer as far as an NFL quarterback uh, with Jalen Hurts, but there's no doubt that he showed it a lot down the stretch last year. Obviously, um, you know, got that Eagles team into the playoffs once again in a very weak division. But as you mentioned, that's in his favor once again this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's a it's a card to look at this offseason because I think, you know, again, as I mentioned, similar to, to Kyler Murray last year, where uh, obviously he has a higher pedigree and, and higher expectations. But we saw him come out, especially during like the first four to six weeks of last year and kind of be the MVP favorite early on in the season. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that happen with Jalen Hurts if everything is clicking. Uh, that doesn't mean I necessarily believe in him across an 18 week a year. Uh, I, I think I do as far as, you know, a weak division can easily make the playoffs, uh, et cetera. But, you know, I think that there will be real opportunities, especially in that first half of the season if he's clicking and everything's uh, grooving for that Philly team uh, to, to capitalize on that card because you know quarterbacks especially in the silver uh, PSA 10 uh, you know we see get way higher than than you know three four hundred dollars so yeah I wouldn't would not be surprised to see that be I mean it's only a pop of 136 also so all right I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it in this 2020 class with a guy that I've talked a lot about uh, a guy that I actually did some selling on after uh, some some offseason trade announcements were made and his prices spiked a little bit, but I'm going back to the AFC East. I'm going back to the Miami Dolphins to attack of Iloa. This is truly to me um, just based off of public perception and how much work he has to do to kind of shift the tide of public perception in his favor. Just as, just as much as I, as much time as I spend on fantasy football, Twitter uh, and just kind of reading comments and, and people's uh, remarks about his capabilities at this point of his career. Uh, there's a lot that he's going to have to do this season to win people over. And I think that that's going to translate to the card market if, if he's able to go out and do what I think he can do. But the Dolphins bring in Kyle Shanahan, understudy Mike McDaniel to run this offense. They added Cedric Wilson early in the process this offseason, which I think a lot of people you know maybe forget about because then they went out and did this blockbuster trade to get Tyreek Hill. So now you have Tyreek Hill, you have Jalen Waddle. You have Cedric Wilson. You bring back Mike Gusecki. You have all these stable of running backs around them just to add offensive weapons. And then they go out and address the offensive line, which was obviously a problem last year, um, by adding Connor Williams uh, at the guard position and Teron Armstead as a left tackle. I think they've really shored up a lot of holes and put Tua in a position to succeed. We like Tua coming in uh, as a rookie. Things did not work out in his first two seasons and now you have this issue that that this is year three and he's got to perform now and if, if he doesn't perform now then this market could really really fall off um but i think that he's got the pieces around him in order to do so so similarly with jalen hurts uh, i'm kind of taking a position where where i'm buying enough now that i can offload some if he comes out hot take a little bit of my profits off the table but then keep some long term because i still believe in the guy i still think that he could potentially be that guy. So some of this, you know, mid-tier prism stuff, silver stuff, uh, if you could find colored colored refractors, 
Uh, I'm all about scooping that up and having the opportunity to sell early, but also hold on if you know if things look really good for him. Yeah, it's definitely a theme um, here as far as kind of fortifying all the defenses around these high pedigree quarterbacks yeah. and saying no more excuses, right? Um, mm -hmm. The Terran Armstead for me is almost equally as big as Tyreek Hill for, yes. for Tua, you know, and like they just went out and got the best tackle. I mean, he's had health issues uh, over the last couple of years, but if he could stay healthy, you know, you, you literally bring in the best receiver in football and arguably the best tackle in football. I mean, there's... It, you really you run out of excuses at that point. Um, plus the Mike McDaniel of it all. Uh, similarly to our guy, and I'm just going to touch on him quickly because uh, we've we've done more than enough Daniel Jones talk on this <laughs> podcast. But similarly to Brian Dayball coming in in New York, obviously you know you can't it, to go from a Jason Garrett offense to a Brian Dayball offense is like my God, uh, I don't even I, I can't even think of a correct real world analogy right now because there isn't one. I, I don't know living living in living in the subway or living on an 80th floor penthouse in New York City. It's like. <laughs> That's the difference in, in quality of offense as far as I'm concerned, at least from what we've seen so far in Dable's career. So, um, you know, I, I think same thing. I mean, you know, we talked about it last year as far as running out of excuses, but I think you get a fourth year instead of a third year when you were, you know, were stuck with Joe Judge and Jason Garrett. So I think that's the way they're looking at it. Joe Shane and crew at, you know, in, in Giants headquarters saying, hey, let's see what we have in Daniel Jones. There's no point in reaching on a quarterback in this crappy quarterback class. You know, let's go out. We're going to get Evan Neal. Uh, we, we now have two actual stone cold, uh, you know, studs at tackle. And then they, what they did is just they took a t bunch of darts and throw it at guard uh, throughout this offseason. So they went to Mac Lewinsky from the Colts. He's going to step right in and be our right guard. Um, they drafted uh, two guards in this draft, uh, Zudu from North Carolina and his teammate uh, from North Carolina in the in the fifth round. Uh, they signed veteran Max Garcia. Um, they signed John Feliciano to come in and play center who has familiarity with the Dayball offense. So what they're doing is creating a ton of camp battles on this offensive line, which should create competition, hopefully bring out the best five guys and have some depth, which is, you know, last year, Shane Lemieux goes down, uh, Nick Gates go goes down, and they, they had nothing, and it was a complete disaster for Daniel Jones. Um, other than that, I mean, his his pass catchers will be mostly the same without Evan Ingram. But but you ask any Giants fan, including myself, we're very happy to see Evan Ingram go on to team number two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the guy could not catch as, the ball. As a fantasy player, I could yeah. not agree more. I, so, I, I could not get enough of Evan Ingram. I mean, besides tight end, and, and I like the, the tight end they drafted in the fourth round, Bellinger, but he seems like more of a uh, maybe of a little bit of a project. But they they bring in Wandale Robinson in the second round. Obviously, isn't a um, you know uh, a measurables guy by any means, but yep. production out the wazoo at Kentucky, SEC, I think offensive skill player of the year or something like that, and. Um, he is, you know, putting him and Kadarius Tony on the field at the same time creates a lot of mismatches for defenses. So, you know, hopefully Kenny Galladay in a much better offense, you know, in, is is uh, in a good position. So, you know, set up well for Daniel Jones, another year of Saquon Barkley being healthy. By far, we'll have his best offensive line that he's ever had. So, hey, I'm still in on the buying Daniel Jones for one more offseason. Obviously, I think we'll know pretty early on by halfway through the season if this was a uh, failed experiment or not. Yeah, one one more season with Daniel Jones. And, man, we've been stacking up Daniel Jones left and right. And I know that you've got a lot for your PC. I've got a lot as just a guy that likes to invest in quarterbacks that probably aren't very good, uh, <laughs> as, as evidenced by my Tua and Sam Darnold uh, drops from last year. But uh, I think we can give Daniel Jones uh, another year. I don't think he's going to be Josh Allen, but but being in this Brian Dable offense with the pieces around him now, he's got a shot to prove that there is something underneath the hood there and if he can do that maybe he earns uh you know a longer leash right going forward right so if, if things don't work out it's your your daniel jones investments at this point go damn near to zero right because this team's just going to draft a quarterback next and and who knows if he's even on a team so yeah um, 
at that point he goes down the Trubisky hole. Like he'll go exactly. be a high high end backup somewhere, and then maybe get a start a chance to start again in a year or two. But you know, let's 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 not uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I think he's gonna have every opportunity in the world this year. And the Giants, by the way, schedule came out yesterday. Giants apparently have the fourth easiest schedule, first time oh. in a in a while. I can remember them having a really easy strength of, of schedule, uh, which is nice to see. So you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Giants. And I know you know Evan and Adam have talked about on their wins totals pods about uh, early season that they like the Giants over. So I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I'm never an optimist with my team, so I don't want to. But like, right. you know, it can't get any worse than it was uh, since in the since the, honestly, since the 11 and five McAdoo season, it's been just since the boat, since the boat can't get any worse since the, since the since the boat. So, yeah, anyway, enough Daniel Jones talk. Uh, who, who's next on your list as far as I, I want to transition away from this 2019 2020 class that we talked so much about and get into some of these rookies because we do have some product. But I know that you've got prices pulled up in front of you. You did some some research here on the National Treasures release that we have yeah. a li- limited data sample on. Before I get into my next name, I will just just go over some of the prices that we've seen early on from uh, some of the quarterbacks in that class, if you've got it up in front of you. Yeah, so National Treasures football came out, um, I want to say like a week and a half ago, something like that. And mm-hmm. obviously the the ultimate, the pinnacle, as we talked about for Panini products, uh, you know, you can make an argument between Flawless and National Treasures, but I think especially with this year, football, flawless, uh, National Treasures, it's great. It's a really good product. Um I have not been in a buying mode right now, or I would have been in on these breaks, but uh, you know, it's, it's, they have their true vertical RPAs. They have the horizontal RPAs this year, are actually the old school look of like the 2012, 2013, like where you see the Steph Curry RPAs look like that, that style, yeah. which I think are beautiful cards. Just in general, the cards are much nicer looking overall. They did a really good job with NT this year for football. And you know, that you mix that with a really strong quarterback class. I mean, five first round quarterbacks, like we've spoken about um, and the hype's been, been through the roof. So boxes uh, are not surprisingly between like four and, and four points three thousand dollars uh cases around 17 18 000. um you know and just we, we have about a week's of data on you know rpa prices of all five of these guys so um you know just i'll run through quickly from what i just kind of dove in uh, right before so trevor lawrence actually does seem to be selling the best of these five guys it's very close between him and mac jones uh but trevor lawrence uh you know i uh, the first off the line obviously comes off a little comes out a little bit before the regular release so we have a little bit more data there so his out of 10 first off the line true rpa so that's the stars and stripes uh vertical rpa uh, just recently sold for thirty thousand dollars that's the top sale i've seen so far in any of these rpas for these five quarterbacks um you know his horizontal i haven't seen his true out of 99 rpa sale yet but his horizontal out of 25 went for 2.5k that tells me that his horizontal out of 99 uh, probably would go for about 15,000 because i'll tell you you know we'll see about what some of these other guys have gone for uh mac jones out of 25 so that's like the silver version of the true rpa went for 16.6k um and his first off the line out of 10 went for twenty five thousand dollars. so so huge numbers for mac jones um still a little bit overvalued for me there uh, Justin Fields, once again, is a redemption in this product. Uh, he seems to be a redemption in almost every product, which is a little bit frustrating, but also keeps his prices slightly down because of it. Uh, I saw his redemption first off the line, same thing, out of 25, went for 10K, uh, which was the same as his true RPA at a 99, the vertical. So around $10,000 for Justin Fields right now. Trey Lance, a little bit under that at a 99, I'm seeing for 9,000. Still to me, the most interesting of all these guys coming into that Shanahan offense, if he can secure the job. And then Zach Wilson, uh, to me, and I think maybe this is a place that we jump off here because Zach Wilson is by far the lowest of all five of these guys coming in. Even his, 49, his out of 49 true RPA, the vertical, went for 7.5K. Obviously, that's still a lot of money, but you're looking at the numbers compared to some of these other guys. That's $2,500 less than Justin Fields. That is you know, almost 10000 less than Mac Jones. So um, you know, it's very interesting in, in that regard. 
Yeah, we're starting to see it more and more. I'm glad I'm glad you brought up Zach Wilson because this is the name that I was excited to talk yeah. about. And and look, last year wasn't good. Last year was really bad. He had two backups come in and play better than he did. Yeah. Uh, looked really bad as a rookie. But we see so often how bad we are at evaluating these quarterbacks, not only coming out of college, but after their first year. We just saw it with Josh Allen uh, now that he looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. We may see it again with Zach Wilson, but these prices coming in where they do, uh, gets me excited about it because I think there's reasons to be excited about Zach Wilson and excited about the New York Jets. We see these rookie deals kind of be a cheat code now in the NFL with with quarterbacks that are on their rookie deals. And if they can turn out to be good, as we see with Justin Herbert and the Chargers, you can see these super teams just get built around them with what Los Angeles is doing. And, and we're getting a situation now where the New York Jets, I won't call them the super team quite yet, but they're starting to build pieces around oh, yeah. Zach Wilson where if he is a good quarterback – uh, you know, things are really going to look up for them. They get Garrett Wilson in the draft. They already have Elijah Moore, Corey Davis. They add Brees Hall, who, you know, maybe wasn't a great pick uh, in, in real life, but it's kind of a luxury for them now with the running back. They shore up an offensive line that was already pretty good. They had PFF's 11th best offensive line in 2021. They add Lakin Tomlinson. They get Mekhi Becton back. They project to be a pretty good unit in 2022. Um, you know, I didn't even mention CJ Uzoma to that pass catching core. Really, they they didn't get much production from their tight end. Uh, Conklin too. They signed both of them. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, you know, I don't expect an investment in Zach Wilson to necessarily pay off immediately. But if he can be, he he obviously has to be better than he was last year. But if he can be a good quarterback with the pieces that they have around him, there may be an opportunity within the next couple of years to kind of take advantage of buying now on someone like Zach Wilson, or if this team continues to build the pieces around him while he's on his rookie deal you could see this new york jets team actually make some noise in the next couple of years yeah i i completely agree with you there um and look he wasn't good uh there's no doubt about it he was he was he was bad he struggled as a rookie like like a lot of first, like a lot of first year rookie quarterbacks do i mean we've seen this throughout history you know trevor lawrence struggled last year too as did peyton manning in 1998 right like we see this all the time um but I will say, and I and I think I've been a little bit more bullish on Wilson than the maybe the fantasy community and the DFS community has been than, than others. Like there was enough there that 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 flashed for me at times. I mean, he had a couple, uh, you know, amazing throws. His his arm talent is is undeniable. Yep. He's mobile in the pocket. You know, if he could just put some of these skills together, I think there's there is a career there for him. So this is a big career for him. I mean, this is a big year for him. I mean, year two is really a big year for a lot of quarterbacks, particularly guys that were picked like first and second overall with insane, uh, you know, raw ability. So I think it's a big year for like him and Trevor Lawrence. But you know, particularly him because of everything you just mentioned. Like they're they're they're. We talk about these teams fortifying, you know, the resources around these guys and, and the Dolphins doing it in year three and the Giants doing it in year four. Uh, but the Jets really have done it in year two to a way that I think a lot of teams wish they were able to. Uh, you know, the Brees Hall pick, I, I think it's it's going to help him out a, a ton. I mean, you add that to Michael Carter. I mean, there's outlets for him pretty much wherever you look on yep. the field now, you know, middle of the field with tight ends, you got legitimate outside threats. You obviously have these kind of pass catching all around backs now too. And the offensive line, as you mentioned, the key there, I think is keeping Becton fully healthy in the, in the, for the full season. But if they do, as you mentioned, I think it could be a top 10 unit. So yeah, I'm, I, for me, like I've, I've pivoted a little bit where like, I'm still interested in Trevor Lawrence when he, when you can kind of scoop his stuff up, or if you can scoop the Jaguars and breaks for cheaper than the Patriots, I'm still interested in that kind of thing, which you can do quite often because the Patriots are still the filler team on a lot of this stuff. But I think I've come to the point now where Zach, Wilson's my favorite speculative offseason buy of these five guys. Um, it's going to be the cheapest entry point. You still have the New York market, which I think, you know, market is starting to matter less and less in cards, but I think it, it does help a little bit here. Um, and, you know, again, like I, I think that there's, there's reason to be optimistic there. And I think the fact that we're being rewarded with the lowest price out of this group is 
is the reason why we should be excited, yeah. right? If he came in and in that kind of Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance tier, then there's there's less reason to be optimistic. He's already been that you know some of the offseason stuff is already being priced in, but it doesn't feel like the additions that they made this offseason and a potential you know year two leap is being priced in at this point at all. So yeah. that's the reason why I'm most excited about Zach Wilson. Certainly um, has uh, an uphill battle to card and hobby relevance, but I think that the you know the pieces around him, I think that he's got the talent as you mentioned in the arm to to kind of get there. So. Give me Zach Wilson from this class. Agreed with you at current prices. I would love to speculate on some Zach Wilson this offseason. And hopefully, you know, stuff like Prism and all that stuff. I saw uh, an expected release date of June 3rd. I don't okay. know if that's still true. Yeah, that but, sounds, know, that we, sounds about right. Maybe we can get our hands on, you know, some Prism and some some colored refractors and stuff like that and get excited about Zach Wilson yeah. as we head into. Right. Because even, even if your entry point isn't National Treasures, which, right. you know, I completely understand. Um you know, being able to you, like scoop up some raw prism stuff, I think, before any of it gets even into PSA is an interesting strategy for someone like him. Um, so, yeah, one other guy I want to hit on it the same way we talk about Zion and Ja all the time in basketball. I think Justin Herbert is worth another discussion here. Oh, um, baby. Oh, yeah. Because they've had another amazing offseason, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they were able to retain Mike Williams, which I think a lot of us didn't think they would be able to do coming off somewhat of a, of a breakout year. Um, they went out and signed Gerald Everett, who I don't love, but I think it opens up the field even more for him. I mean, obviously, we'd like to see, you know, popping off the PSM, Donald Parham, you know, play, <laughs> play even more over there. But, you know, and then they go in the first round and they and they draft another offensive lineman in Zion Johnson, who is a pretty unanimous top guard in this draft. Like, this is after Rashawn Slater comes in and is immediately an all pro. Uh, we spoke about that on this exact podcast last year. Why a reason we were excited about Herbert in year two. Yeah. Now we got Herbert in year three. Obviously, there's still some stuff there that I just wish he would clean up a little bit. Kind of the the risky throws. I mean, uh, a little bit of you know putting ball at, at risk at end of games sometimes. But I think he's going to get there, man. I think he's going to. I think he's going to put the mental pieces all together. Um, you know, once you get that, you, you know, the upside is as as high as Mahomes and and Allen, right? So. I'm still bullish on Herbert, man. I really am. And I get the prices are going to remain high, but like, I'm not necessarily just looking to sell Justin Herbert just because the hype is there and quarter, the quarterback markets have been also staying really strong to the point where like, even just his base prism um, in the offseason, only down 6% in the offseason. And yeah. that, pop, that pop continues to grow. It's a 3,500 pop. It's going to probably end up at like 8,000 at some point. And it's still a $330 card. Like the quarterback market staying steady. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not jumping to sell Herbert even as more stuff floods the market. I think that's really encouraging overall, just seeing that the market has stayed this strong throughout the first part of the offseason. And I think we're only going to see those prices pick up as we yeah. get through, you know, training camps and as we get closer to preseason, those those things are going to start to boost a little bit more. Now you mentioned all the stuff on the offense. It's almost comical I know the what defense, this team yeah. did on the defensive side of the ball. Great they acquired point. Khalil Mack for, you know, nothing. Pennies. They they signed JC Jackson, Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson. This defense was already legit. They yep. already had a bunch of ballers on this defense, and then they add even more pieces to it. I'm excited about Justin Herbert short-term and long-term. I think this team, you know, while he's got a couple years left on this rookie deal, I'm sure they can keep a majority of this nucleus together for a few years. It may not pay off immediately, but there has to be a Super Bowl run for Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers at some point. The only thing that gives me any pause or any reason to be slightly less optimistic than I already am is just how freaking loaded this AFC is and how loaded specifically the AFC West is it's going to be a tough road to hoe for anybody coming out of the AFC, but these teams are, are they're, they're legitimate super teams at this point. Just the names that I just mentioned on the defensive side of the ball for the charters combined with everything that they already had offensively. Uh, I mean, this team looks like they've got a title run in them at some point over the next couple of years. Yeah. They're my, they're one of my favorite teams heading into this year. Um, you know, we've seen this now 
where talent can just completely win out when you when you are able to actually go out on these rookie deals and just buy guys that you need to. Yep. It's the reason they were able to retain Mike Williams. A lot of us thought he was walking because they have Josh Palmer in the wings, but hey, they can afford to give him a, a big contract. They can afford to go give JC Jackson a big contract. And, you know, there's really very few holes in this roster overall. They went out and uh, drafted Isaiah Spiller, right, to to back up Austin Austin Eckler, which great I think pick. is just great a pick. great pick for them because Eckler's had his durability issues. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Spiller. I really like Spiller for best ball going into this year. Well, uh, a whole, whole other uh, conversation. But, yeah. I mean, really, really excited about the Chargers and, and Justin Herbert, as I am, you know, Joe Burrow as well. But we, I think we did enough talking about him in the playoff run that, you know, not, yeah. you know, their, their offseason is fine. But, you know, Herbert, to me, uh, just to see them continuing to stack on what he's already oh done yeah. has been has been great to see. We're, we're probably accused of being too optimistic on this podcast. Yeah. We talk about it often. We're, we're always talking about buys, buys, buys. And even if we may not be, you know, fully in the in the buy mode right now, uh, a lot of these guys, we are still very optimistic on, and we'll be looking for opportunities to buy low throughout the rest of the offseason. But there were a few losers, I think, from the offseason. Not much, because it seemed like a lot of the movement was was either neutral for for the guys where the team, you know, where, where players were leaving, um, or or still positive impacts. Even like Mahomes losing yeah. Tyree Kill, right. it's really tough to say that he was a loser this offseason. I think with some of the rest of the stuff that the Chiefs did. But there was one name that stood out to me and looked like one name that stood out to you on your list as a guy who was potentially uh, a loser this offseason. You want to touch on uh, a guy that you're worried about in the AFC North? Yeah, and and it's funny because, like, as you mentioned, we are overly positive. And I feel like this is one guy that we've picked on a little bit yes. on this pod. And, <laughs> yes. and, and, you know, we ate our lunch a little bit last year when he was when he was thriving once again. But uh, Lamar Jackson, I mean, it, it, it's hard to see them going out. And not that Hollywood Brown was this this world beater of a, a receiver, but, you know, he opened up that offense in a lot of ways. And then they go out and trade him on draft day. Um, you know, they they did draft a center, uh, Linderbaum there, which could help a little bit. But just I don't know, man, like you have Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews. And, you know, this is a team that you know, did pass more than we expected last year. Um, I'm just a little bit afraid that they're going to go back to being, you know, really run heavy and run first as J.K. Dobbins comes back from injury. And that doesn't mean that Lamar Jackson can't be a successful uh, hobby quarterback, fantasy quarterback being run first. If anything, he might even be more successful. We saw him win an MVP that way. But I, I think to see him kind of take that that full leap into a sustained market, you really need to see that balance between running and passing. And I'm just a little bit worried about the way that pass game is set up now and kind of what their message that they're sending to that locker room is by, by going away and trading uh, a Hollywood Brown uh, as just their running backs are getting healthier too. Yeah, this I mean, this one pains me because I love Lamar. He's a, a charismatic dude. He's great on social media. He's he's great with the fans. But and the other thing is, like, Baltimore's front office is doing things, you know, the right way. It seems like everyone always loves their drafts. Everyone always loves their offseason moves. They continue to build teams the right way. And you mentioned it like we were wrong on Lamar for good por- good portions of the year last year, even as that team dealt with injury after injury after injury. But even more so than what this team did. I think it's what the teams around them in their own division did to get better. You have the Browns who add Deshaun Watson. You know, we can say what we want about that situation, but the Browns got better by adding Deshaun Watson. Um, the Bengals continued to improve. Then you have the Steelers who, you know, I, I don't like Kenny Pickett all that much, but they, Kenny Pickett's better than Big Ben at this point. Uh, in their yeah, they got better. Careers. They got, they they got, got better. better. Right, yeah. exactly. So, you know, they, get, they got the third, third best odds to win their own division this year. I know Lamar is a special talent. I just think that there might be some struggle there, and I think the struggle could come offensively. You're, you're telling me they're going to trot out a wide receiver core of Rashad, ba- Rashad Bateman. I love Rashad we're Bateman. All, we're all high on, yeah. We yeah. love Rashad Bateman. There's nothing bad to say about him in, in terms of fantasy and in his talent. But after that, you've got Devin DuVernay 
and James Proche. Like these are guys that I was playing in NFL preseason. You can't tell me you're excited about those guys. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had actually talked about wanting to be high on Lamar just because of how special his talent was. I identified that field level silver as a card that I was into kind of fit my price range, $700, $800 uh, for a single card was where I was at. I was hoping to find a bottom this offseason and really hope to buy. But now if I had a hold of it, I would be looking to sell. That card's actually up 12% over the last three months. I think it's going to continue to climb as we approach the regular season. You talked about the quarterback market being pretty stable overall. I think it's only going to get higher as we head into the offseason or as we head towards the regular season. If you're holding on to Lamar, I think it's probably a good opportunity to sell into maybe that regular football season hype as the regular season approaches we could end up eating our crow again and, and having to shove down our throat just because of how good Lamar is on his own. Uh, but, you know, I, I just find it tough for him to kind of repeat that 2019 success and, and reach those peaks that he had after he won that MVP. I also wonder, I mean, this is pure like conspiracy Gary here, but like, I wonder if, um, you know, the front office there kind of looks at a division, looks at Deshaun Watson coming in, looks at all this stuff happening. And it's like, let's fortify for the future a little bit here. Um, you know, let's give up Hollywood Brown for, for picks, whatever. Let's, um, you know, let's, let's, let's draft David Ojabu in the second round as kind of a red shirt year. Let's kind of like, let's, let's try to build, uh, uh from, from the, let's, let's try to build, you know, as many building blocks as we can before we kind of really attack. And that's not to say that they're not going to be, uh, a you know a legit contender because they will they have Lamar Jackson they're a great team the Harbaugh teams are always in the running here but I think they see kind of what's around them not only in their own division but the whole AFC and um you know maybe kind of had that in mind when they made that move let alone what Hollywood Brown may have wanted to be paid and wanted to go team up with his what it was uh you know college teammate all, all that stuff but I just it's just a, it's just an interesting thing to think about as far as kind of the approach they're taking but that said I mean he's one of the best quarterbacks in football still definitely the most dynamic athletic quarterback in football still and we could easily be wrong here once again but there's a lot of reasons to kind of be eerie on the side of caution with Lamar any other names that stand out to you as guys that were particularly didn't didn't have great off seasons in terms of what yeah. their teams did around them this was like a low end buy for us for a while, but I think we're fully ready to take an L here on Ryan Tannehill. Um, yep. So, you know, yep. it's uh, obviously, let alone the fact that they drafted Malik Wilson in the third round. This is his last year of his contract. I don't think they're going to be looking to pay Ryan Tannehill 25 plus million dollars a year moving forward here. He's still a good quarterback in my mind, like probably bottom end of the top 12 to 15. And like, that's good. And he's been, he's had a really good run. He's rejuvenated his career in Tennessee. But even, you know, we we speculated maybe the market catching up to that and never really did. I mean, we, we, luck, it wasn't a high entry point. We were buying those kind of tops chrome for 100 bucks, PSA 10, whatever. But, you know, even in these playoff runs, AFC championship runs, all this, um, you know, he never got there from the hobby. And then now you, you both, uh, draft his basically successor potentially and you lose AJ Brown. I mean, yep. no way to look at Brian Tannehill as a winner here. Why don't we just transition quickly? Because I think these were the big names that we really wanted to touch on. And we'll, we're obviously going to talk more about the draft picks that impacted all of these teams as we approach the regular season and as we start to get product, uh, which is going to be a while from now for this 2022 class. But it's not a strong class no. uh, by any means. I don't think from a hobby perspective, the quarterbacks, uh, it was just Kenny Pickett in round one, wasn't it? It was. So let's let's touch on this class really quick. Any of these names that immediately stood out to you guys that you're high on for long term success? Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, any of these guys uh, potentially set up as buys for you? Or are we going to be more focusing on this 2021 and 2020 class going forward? Yeah, my thing with Pickett is like 
I, I'm willing to believe he could be a really good NFL quarterback. I don't know how explosive they'll ever be to reach like insane highs in the hobby, like the Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes type of talent, uh, but he'll have all the talent around him. And that Pittsburgh just uh, foundation is so strong that I think he could be really successful. I just don't know however that will translate to the pros. However, I'm a little worried about him just being pricey out the gate because there's so many Pittsburgh fans. Or so he, yeah. You know he's going to have that speculation right out of the gate. So he's probably a pass for me at unless, you know, until I see it on the field. But I am interested in some of these mid-round guys. Desmond Ritter is somebody that I'm, I'm really interested in. There. I mean, the Falcons have a long way to go here. They are probably the worst roster in football right now. Um, I think that they are truly at the very beginning stages of a rebuild. And obviously, you could turn it around quickly in the NFL. They did draft Drake London at pick eight. They drafted Kenny uh, Kyle Pitts in, in pick four last year. So they basically are, are drafting his targets and then they bring in the quarterback we'll see if Desmond Ritter is the guy uh but I think you know if he is even if he needs a couple years to uh you know kind of get some some juice under his belt by that point maybe they'll have a real roster ready to compete and I know everyone but the thing everyone says about Desmond Ritter is that uh, he wants it and he's got the mental the fortitude and and he really wants to be great so he's someone I'm interested in and I think you know when this stuff comes out like depending on the price of the Titans for some I mean Malik Willis is was the what most people consider the most exciting prospect in this draft obviously incredibly raw I mean he'll have a chance to sit behind Daniel but once if he is able to win that job in a year or two I I mean, he's going to be set up in an incredibly stable organization that's been one of the most stable since Mike Frabel's come in there. We'll see if Derrick Henry has a couple more years under his belt. But, like, I think it'll be – I mean, and we'll see. They added Traylon Burks to replace A.J. Brown right away, but we'll see what kind of uh, targets they can put around him there. But I think he'd be the most interesting just in a vacuum. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where prices settle in for these guys because I, I, I just have no idea. I think we had a pretty good under, understanding and a pretty good grasp of where the five first-round quarterbacks were going to settle in last year. Uh, but, you know, if, if, if you told me that Javi was high on a guy like Malik Willis over, you know, someone like Kenny Pickett, uh, despite the the difference in draft capital, it wouldn't shock me no, at, all. Shock me at all. But maybe that's a, maybe that's like a fantasy echo chamber type of thing because of how high we are specifically on uh, Malik Willis as a fantasy asset. But I just don't have a good feel about, you know, where these quarterbacks may settle in in terms of prices. It would swap the second picket hits the field and has success. So like the same way that Mac Jones became the filler team for every break last year, the second that the Patriots started winning, um, even if Pickett wasn't putting up big numbers, like it's a big market. Yeah. He's got big targets. Like it's basically, it would be this guy, it would almost the exact same thing as, as Mac Jones. So, um, you know, if, if he does have success and they're winning games, again, they're in a very tough division. It's the AFC. I wouldn't expect the same type of success there out the gate, but you know, they say he's pro ready. He has incredible targets. They drafted, uh, pick George Pickens as well to add to to Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson and uh, everything going on there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be kind of sitting back and watching uh, the, the picket stuff. I have a hard time not getting excited about some of the non quarterback names. I kind of have to like talk myself off the ledge because every year it's really easy to get excited about the wide receivers that get drafted because, you know, going through the process uh, throughout the spring, looking back at their college production, looking at their athletic profile, seeing them do workouts in, in compression shorts. They obviously look all incredible. So Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, Traylon Burks, all of these guys excite me. Uh, any interest out the gates in terms of investing in them, whether it be short or long term uh, for some non quarterback upside? Yeah, London's the biggest fade for me right now, which is funny because he was the, okay. the, the first pick. But, you know, he is a big kind of possession receiver. Doesn't necessarily create so much separation, but it doesn't matter because he wins every 50 50 ball. Yeah. But I don't know how long it'll take for him to be able to kind of produce with a Marcus Mariota, Desmond Ritter quarterback room on a very bad team. I mean, he'll, you know, he'll get a ton of targets and the role will be there, but I'm just kind of waiting on that one. Like I, I think that his, you know, I, I just, I'd rather go to some of these other guys that are both more explosive off just in their profile and are in better situations. So uh, I'm looking at, at Garrett Wilson, um, you know, in the similar vein, 
to to Zach Wilson. You know, if we think that those two guys can, uh, you know, hit a hit a camaraderie right off the bat. You know, his biggest thing is is target competition with guys like Elijah Moore. But uh, I think he's really interesting. And then Jamison Williams to me is the big home run hitter of this group. But, you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, it's Jared Goff. It's the Lions. But Lions have a pretty solid offense overall. I mean, we'll see if he can get him the ball successfully. The guy down the list that I'm most excited in is Sky Moore. Uh, I think as, as most fans, yeah. guys will be in best ball drafts and everything. And I think his ADP will continue to rise. But we mentioned the Chiefs losing Tyree Kill. They basically replaced him with Sky Moore, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Marcus Valdez-Scantling. So yeah. they're taking their, their darts there. Uh, but I think Sky Moore is the most interesting of these guys. A lot of raw natural ability. Um, if Mahomes and him find a chemistry early, I think he can be really successful. So he's somebody that I'm looking at. But I think all these guys, you know, it was if this if this if this draft had anything, it was it wasn't like an elite elite receiver class at the top. But it was a very deep good receiver class. So I think would I be surprised to see some of these guys come out and have like DK Metcalf, AJ Brown markets? I would not not at all. A really fun episode again, as yeah. always. I, I love these kind of draft review. Offs- you know the the thing about the hobby and the thing about what we do in our day jobs is like the transaction has become almost as interesting and as impactful as the action. You know, all the stuff that happens in the off season, all the draft stuff, all the trades, all of the rumors is as impactful to markets as what these guys do on the field. Um, So, you know, it's always good to kind of recap it and, and kind of take a look underneath the hood and see how things shook out for these guys. And of course, you know, we couldn't do this show without me mentioning, you know, three probably below average quarterbacks and Tua, Zach Wilson, <laughs> Daniel Jones. Um, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that works out for me. I have my doubts that uh, things will go well, but if they do, uh, I'll be laughing all the way to the bank with it. So I hope that one of these below average quarterbacks can uh, turn things around with what their teams put around them this off season. Didn't even mention Drew Locke, who, who, who may have the best opportunity he's had uh, in a while here, right? Um, I mean, the Seahawks, Metcalf, the Seahawks, Tyler Lockett, and, the and, and like seven running backs. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pete Carroll. Okay. Uh, by by the time that we get back uh, next week, we'll, we'll be kind of on the verge of NBA conference finals. So I think that'll be an interesting look. By then, we'll be obviously down to four teams. We'll have seen some some big hobby names probably get bounced from the playoffs. Um, So it'll be interesting to look back at those markets, kind of see what things may be doing going forward this offseason. So uh, we'll be back next week with a little NBA preview for conference finals week and also maybe a little recap of some guys that we were interested in throughout the rest of the NBA season and what we should do with them as we head into the offseason. Anything else to add before we get out of here today, Gary? No, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm right there with you. Obviously, I've been still grinding these NBA streets. Yep. So you know, the Philadelphia 76ers got eliminated last night. We'll talk about that. The Heat, the Heat uh, secured their place in the East Conference Finals. So we'll we'll go out of there on that. Um, go Rangers, man. Go New York Rangers. We're fighting for our lives tonight. A little bit of hockey All right. for you. Go Rangers. <laughs> for Gary, I'm Cody. We'll see you guys next week. Take care, everyone.